are now listening to Wisdom from North podcast with me, Jannike Einias. Here I will explore topics such as metaphysics, spirituality, personal growth, and in general, how we can create good lives for ourselves. My intention is to find some answers, but perhaps more importantly, finding new questions to ask, because there is always something new to discover in this wonderful universe that we live in. In Wisdom from North, we're passionate about helping you take your spiritual growth to that next level. That's why we are collaborating with some amazing spiritual teachers and partners who offer free webinars and classes. Go to wisdomfromnorth.com forward slash free. Disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong to the guests and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of Wisdom from North or any entities they may represent. Now, please enjoy the episode. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? UVX10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's EUFY.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Charlie. A warm welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation because I interviewed you many, many years ago. It was the beginning of my career or journey on Wisdom from North. And I think also you had been just been starting uh, yeah. doing what you're doing. Uh, and you are a lucid dreamer teacher, lucid dreaming teacher. And we met each other, I think it was last year at this conference, mm -hmm. Wine Valley. And I heard this two hour talk with you on lucid dreaming and I got so inspired and I went home and I practiced and I got a lucid dream that night and I just wanted to share this information and I'm really grateful that you're here to share more about what lucid dreaming is today. Great. So I'm curious before we dive into the details of it, how did you get into this in the first place? I was into dreaming from like really young from I mean, my mom said I used to tell her my dreams since I was like five years old. I mean, I have no no proof of that. I do remember telling her dreams when I was young. But the first, the kind of youngest memory I have that is proved is when I was 11. For my 12th birthday, I asked for this thing called a Nova Dreamer, 
which is like an electronic sleep mask, which you strap to your face. And it's got a computer that recognizes rapid eye movement. And when it sees rapid eye movement, it flashes these red lights, which are bright enough to penetrate your eyelids, but not bright enough to wake you up. So they say. Um, and I saw this advertised in this like little gadget thing in the newspaper. And I remember saying to my dad, like, I know what I want for my birthday. I want this uh, Nova Dreamer. I never got it. But I know that at 11 years old, I knew what lucid dreaming was. And I wanted to have more of them. And that this mask said I could have more. So I guess that means I was already having lucid dreams then. Um, but the time when I kind of taught myself to do it was as a teenager. So I was like 15 years old. And um, as many young people at that age, I was getting interested in consciousness and what happens with the mind and psychedelics and smoking weed. And, you know, Buddhism seemed cool, but it, it had too many rules. So I kind of put that on a shelf for a little bit. But lucid dreaming, I was like, oh, that thing I used to do as a kid. So I got these books. I taught myself how to do it because it is a learnable skill. And this is probably the first takeaway for your audience. It's a learnable skill. Um, it comes factory installed. Children do it naturally. So they had a, a study from Harvard and a study from a university in the UK, actually, on children uh, that basically concluded that lucid dreaming is frequent among children ages 6 to 16. Uh, so it comes factory installed. But it's also something you can relearn or remember uh, as an adult. So I got these books. I taught myself how to do it. I started having loads of lucid dreams. Um, and I wasn't doing anything spiritual. I was just using it for literally sex and skateboarding. It sounds like a metaphor, but I'm not being metaphorical. That's literally what I spent my lucid dreams doing. Um, and then later, a few years later, the Buddhism thing popped up again. But this time I had more discipline. So I thought I'm ready for some of those rules. Um, and then I formally became a Buddhist at 19. And then I started learning the Buddhist lucid dreaming stuff. Because there's a whole tradition, thousand year old tradition in Tibetan Buddhism of lucid dreaming on the spiritual path. So then when I met that, then stuff really started to happen. I've been a bit of a fan of you because I discovered lucid dreaming in 2006. I went mm -hmm. to this course, I did these techniques. Like you just said, this is a learnable skill. And I never thought that was possible. I thought it was for the chosen ones. Mm. But I learned these skills and I managed to lucid dream. And then I put it aside for many years until I met you again last year and I started lucid dreaming again. And uh, Charlie, I, I'm sure many who are watching or some who are watching are wondering, what are they talking about? So let's just do the basics first. What is lucid dreaming? Yeah. So a lucid dream is any dream where you know that you're dreaming as the dream is happening without waking up. So if you've ever had a dream where you're in the dream, you're totally asleep, but in the dream, you go, oh, wow, this is all a dream. And then you can choose what to do. I can choose to fly. I can choose to, um, you know, have sex with movie stars. You do all that stuff first, if you like. Uh, but then you realize, wow, I'm inside my mind. So this is like the state that a hypnotherapist would bring me into. I'm conscious within the unconscious mind. I'm literally inside a virtual reality simulation of my own psychology. So you can now do serious work. You can do it. All the work you can do through hypnotherapy, you can do through lucid dreaming. But in many cases, that actually works a bit deeper simply because you can't get more unconscious than asleep. So a lucid dream is any dream where you know that you're dreaming as the dream is happening. What is it not? It's not just a really vivid dream. So sometimes people are like, oh, I, I have really lucid dreams. And when you use really as kind of like, you know, is, an, is that an adjective? Dyslexic. You know, if you use uh, it in that way, the descriptor, I kind of know they're probably talking about um, vivid dreaming. You know, 
it's not just a vivid dream. Uh, it's not a dream where you see future events and they come true, although that can happen in lucid dreams. And it's not an out of body experience. It's simply any dream where in the dream you go, oh, wow, I'm dreaming. And many people of your, your listeners, your, your viewers will have had that and many won't. And for those who haven't had that or don't remember having it, I'd ask them, have they ever had a nightmare where in the nightmare they've gone, I've got to wake up. Because if you have, that was a lucid dream too. Because the moment you acknowledge, oh, there's somewhere to wake up to, you had indirectly acknowledged, well, then I'm asleep. And of course, that's missing a real gift. Because if you wake yourself from a nightmare, the unintegrated trauma that caused the nightmare remains unintegrated. And that's why our nightmares recur. Whereas if you can become lucid in the nightmare, oh, I've got to wake up. Wait, no, I don't got to wake up. I've got to stay in here and witness this nightmare. Then the act of witnessing in the same way as a therapist in the waking state says, tell me what happened. And then by speaking it out loud and witnessing it from the point of safety of the therapeutic dyad, trauma could be integrated. So too in a lucid dream. So if you do ever get lucid in the nightmare, don't wake up, just stay there and witness. Okay, I'm safe. I'm not really back in this nightmare situation. I'm simply dreaming it and just witness. Well, that's very interesting that you're saying, and it was actually one of my questions, what about nightmares? Because I've had all sorts of, or not all sorts of, but many different lucid dreams. And in the beginning, there were a lot of wonderful experiences. Like I experienced, uh, experienced realities that I haven't experienced here that were much more magnificent than I've ever experienced. But then I also had some so-called negative experiences, which frightened me a bit. Mm. And then I got so fearful and I lost some inspiration to do it again and again, because I sort of couldn't get past that. And there would be some entities or energies that would come up and uh, try to distract me. Uh, so could you take us a little bit through um, how this can be experienced? Because it can be quite... Um, not a shocking experience, but an extraordinary experience to be lucid for the first time. Mm. And you can meet anything. But what you're saying is that don't be afraid, observe whatever is coming. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting there that you use the term negative to describe those dreams. I would ask you to reframe it and see actually the dreams where you had these amazing experiences, that was the warm up. The real work happened in those, those seemingly negative dreams because that's where the work happens. You know, if I get lucid uh, in a dream, let's say I'm having a dream, I'm sunbathing on the beach, and then uh, my dead grandma comes out the water and I go, oh wait, I'm dreaming. And then I become lucid in this beach where I'm sunbathing. It's kind of a cool lucid dream. And wow, the beach is so real. I can feel the sand, this is so cool. But there's not a lot's happening. I'm not integrating a lot. I'm not developing a lot. Whereas if I get lucid in like a zombie apocalypse, or if I get lucid in this nightmare where like a murderer is coming to get me, and then I realize I'm dreaming, that's the gold. Because what is that murderer? Well, everything in the dream is me, or 99% of everything in the dream is me. So then what is that murderer? Well, it's a murderous part of me. It's a wounded part of me. It's a part that is so traumatized from something that happened in my past, that it is now using violence and aggression against itself. <clears throat> so suddenly in that lucid dream where you're being chased by a murderer, you can do more in one lucid dream than hundreds of hours of therapy. Because if you see that that murderer is not an external energy, it is a murderous because of trauma, traumatized part of yourself, and you turn on that murderous aspect and embrace it with love, 
don't fight it, don't push it away, but show it love, <clears throat> then you can do powerful integrative work. Um, I realized because I used the 99% comment, I'm now going to have to mention what the other 1% is. <laughs> <clears throat> so this may be, you know, these percentiles I'm using kind of flippantly. But what I'm saying is the vast majority, almost everything in a lucid dream is your mind. In the outer body experience, those percentages are flipped. In a genuine outer body experience, it's 99% not your mind. You know, but a lucid dream, you're in here. You're not out there. So it is your psychology, most of it. However, there is a crucial 1%. Maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 10%, who knows? But a small, very, very uh, a minority percentile, which might not be you. And that might be, a, be made up of aspects of the collective unconscious. It might be made up of aspects of, of your ancestors, your blood and bone ancestors. It might be made up of the aspects of enlightened beings who have the ability to enter your dreams. Um, <clears throat> so the next thing comes up, well, what if I'm in one of those nightmares and this big like devil appears or Satan? And what if it's actually Satan? What if it is the collective unconscious archetype of Satan that's in my dream? Then I can't hug it, surely. No, the same rule applies. If in that one in a gazillion chance you're in a lucid dream and actually some kind of presence of evil, if you want to call it that, of course it's not, it's just trauma. There is no evil. This is the Buddhist view. There is no evil. There's simply traumatized energy that, that plays out in, in ways that are very destructive. But let's say that you were lucky enough to be in a lucid dream and actually you did meet this presence of evil in the lucid dream then God, if you try and fight that thing, you're in a very difficult situation. But if you use love, the most powerful energy in the universe, you could do transformative work. I mean, imagine if you were able to send love and hug the archetypal shadow, the archetypal uh, Satan in your lucid dream, you might wake up to world peace. So even in that case, the same rules apply. Now I've been teaching this stuff for like 15 years, right? Using this same example. But just last year or maybe the year before, my own Buddhist teacher, uh, I managed to get him to come and talk to a group uh, in this online course I was doing called Super Lucidity, like Advanced Lucid Dreaming course. And he got asked this question. And as it came up, I felt myself like blushing, like, oh, shit, I hope he says the same answer. Because what if he completely contradicts me? And I've been telling people, what if he goes, you know, never hug it, it's evil. Um, and he got her to repeat the question. He went, so you're in the dream and you're definitely sure it's not your mind. It is that tiny, tiny possibility that it is some archetypal evil presence. And she goes, yes. And I'm like, oh, God, what's he going to say? And he goes, then you show the biggest love you can. Then, and he said to recite this certain mantra of love in Tibetan Buddhism, Om Mani Pema Hong or Om Mani Padme Hong. Um, so, yes, this is, this is Buddhist view. And I know this is very different. There might be, uh, you know, shamanic practitioners watching this going, no way. If you meet anything that's scary in the lucid dream, you fight it, you push it away, you, you do a circle of energy around yourself. That's just not the Buddhist view. The Buddhist view is that every, there is no evil energy. There's just traumatized people and traumatized energy. And the only way to integrate trauma is with love. I mean, it does resonate that you meet everything with love and not, you know, fight and war. Yeah. Like that makes so much sense to me. And it was interesting that you said that uh, it's diff it's a difference between out-of-body experiences yeah. and lucid dreaming. Because I've interviewed Jade Shaw. Yeah, my ex-wife. Sorry? My ex-wife, Jade. Seriously? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I didn't know you had broken up. I was going to know it was a long time ago. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought you were just friends. Ah, yeah. that's funny. Ah, oh, that's so nice. 
Okay, yeah. And what yeah, did she say? Did, are we on the same page with that? Did she, what did, when she, or did she get the same question about if you meet an entity? I don't, I don't, oh, about the entity part. Uh, we didn't speak about that. Oh, okay. We spoke more about what the astral realm is and what you can do. Uh, but I just get curious because I thought it was the same thing. I thought it was just the way you get into the astral world. Like either that you wake it up in a dream or you just move consciously out of your body. But you're saying that it's actually in your mind and out, yeah, of, body. It, 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 the, actually out of your body. Yeah, the places are definitely different. It's like a lot of the techniques for getting lucid dream to get into lucid dream state and the outer body state, they start the same way. There are often certain affirmations you do, energy work you do in the hypnagogic or hypnopompic, which is falling asleep and waking up states. However, at the point of entry, the lucid dream goes in and the outer body goes out. So they're similar techniques, but in a genuine outer body experience, you are not in, you're not in your mind anymore. Like, I mean, I used to, I, I, I know this because I used to think out of body experiences were bullshit. When I was writing my first book, um, I had the chapter on out of body experiences written. And I was just saying, it's just people having a lucid dream who don't know it, you know, because when they say, oh, but it was so real and I was flying over and I could see my body. And I'm like, yeah, you were just dreaming you were seeing your body. You know, it was just a very powerful lucid dream. Um, and I thought, oh, I'd better go on a loose on a out of body experience workshop before I write this chapter, because otherwise I'm a bit of a hypocrite. But in my mind, I had made up my mind. Out of body experience with just people who didn't know about lucid. You know, this is like 20 years ago. Um, and then I went on this out of body experience workshop. So I had no placebo. I had no faith. I had no, I thought it was all bullshit. And yet I turn up at this workshop and in the middle of the day, at midday before lunch, we do this exercise. And the teacher said, of course, this won't give you an out of body experience. We're just rehearsing for tonight. So we'll go through the same practice and it was a thing where you had to imagine energy coursing up and down up and down up and down up and down and then up and down up and down boom out the top of your head and he's leading us in this thing and we're doing this practice and then when it goes out the top of your head I'm, I've got eyes open I'm awake I'm not even like in the hypnagogic I'm awake sitting there and everything in my body went up by not a lot by about two inches went poof like poof everything and even my head went because we we're in a circle and I could now see over the top of the guy's head who was in front of me so I physically shifted and I went up and then boom back down and I freaked out huh. I thought this guy had put something in the tea because I'd been saying on the email to him yeah I'm coming along but I really don't think it's real so I thought maybe he's he's like you know I don't know he didn't like me so he put something in the tea Classic denial, of course. I was in full denial of the experience. I got up, I went into the kitchen in the workshop space, and I was like, oh, this fucking, this is crazy, man. Like, what, what's he done? And then he came in, he asked if I was okay, we calmed down, and I realized, no, it's nothing in the tea, man. This is for real. And then that night, it was a, it was a sleepover workshop, and I then did the same practice in the hypnagogic and had a, a sleep-based out-of-body experience. And I'd had like 500 lucid dreams up to that point. So I knew lucid dreaming very, very well. I knew the taste of it, I knew the smell of it, I knew the feel of it. What I had in both the daytime and the nighttime experience of astral projection was not lucid dreaming. I don't know what it was, I can't prove it. And of course, scientifically, it hasn't been proven out-of-body experiences, but it wasn't a lucid dream. Definitely not. It seems different to me as well. There seems to be a slight difference. Like I feel like out of body experiences are more real in a way, like that I'm actually uh, in another realm, but everything is yeah. the same. Like yeah. uh, my apartment, for instance, when I in my last apartment, um, when I was 
astral projecting out of my body. I could see everything as it was, but there was so much more. But in a lucid dream, I've always been different places, like yeah. sort of fantasy places that I've never exactly. Been. Yeah, and in a lucid dream, you know, you're in your imagination. And of course, you can test stuff. In a lucid dream, you can like, make anything appear. Um, in a lucid dream, your fears are very specific to you. You know, if I'm in a lucid dream, I know I'm in a lucid dream because it's like, you know, my fears will pop up or my inner child will look like me. It's very clear, like, oh, I'm in my mind. Whereas in outer body experience, you try and change something, nothing happens because like you're in a shared space. You know, it's not just one mind, it's many minds. And you try and like do reality checks, which are ways to tell if you're in a lucid dream, they don't work. You're like, this is nuts. Like, again, I don't know where it is, but it's not in here. Uh, or maybe everything's in here, right? If you look at that big Buddhist view that everything is a dream, maybe you're just different layers in the dream. But yeah, all I know is I, I really had to eat my words. I, really, <laughs> I re had a very set view and experience well, blew that view away. I, th I think that's part of the journey to constantly question things and question our own beliefs and be open yeah. to that it might be different. Like I know yeah. this now, but that might be different tomorrow. Yes. Uh, yeah. And sometimes we get to rectify that. So I'm writing, I've just finished writing actually, the 10th anniversary second edition of my first book. And that first book is the one that has the chapter on OBEs. And I give a lot of space to the scientific view against OBEs. And then a little bit saying, oh, I actually had one and I think they're real. Whereas now I've completely written, rewritten that chapter. I mean, like, no, this is what I believe now, 10 years later. And I'm so glad. You know, imagine if you, you rewrite a book 10 years later and you have the same opinions, no evolution, no change. Um, so I'm very glad that I was, you know, they asked me to, to change like 2000 words. I've ended up changing 10,000 words because I'm through the book. And no, I don't agree with that anymore. No, that's changed. This is better, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So for people to understand like the potential uh, in lucid dreams, like what yeah. it actually can do for us, would you like to share one amazing experience you've had that really made a difference for you in your life in a lucid dream? Yeah, let's not do one. Let's do, let's look at many. So anything you can treat through hypnotherapy, you can treat through lucid dreaming. Because you're in a similar state, you know, conscious in the unconscious mind. So let's think of that. Well, you can use hypnotherapy for trauma integration. You can use hypnotherapy for increasing your confidence. You can use hypnotherapy for increasing athletic performance. You can use hypnotherapy for past life regression. You can use hypnotherapy also just for fun. How people get hypnotized in the, you know, the nightclub shows where they get people on stage, hypnotize and make them be like a chicken. Same with lucid dreaming. You can spend your lucid dreams being a chicken if you want, but I, I wouldn't advise it. I'd advise doing the deep work. So some of the new case studies actually that I put in the book, <clears throat> uh, amazing stuff. So, um, okay, physical healing. So this is one with very little uh, science on it, although we intend to do a scientific study on this next year or the year before with the same group that I did the PTSD study with. Uh, the Institute of Noetic Sciences in San Francisco. <clears throat> we intend to see if we can prove physical healing in the lucid dream. But for now, the anecdotal reports, and most of them are described as it's simply the placebo effect. Yeah, great. You know, if the placebo effect is the mind affecting the body, then when you apply placebo effect healing within a lucid dream, which is 100% mind, the placebo effect works with 100% efficacy. So you can do very interesting stuff with physical healing. Uh, and some of the case studies, there was a woman who had a recurring knee injury. She went into the lucid dream. She did hands-on healing in the lucid dream. Colored light came out of her hands. 
she woke up and the knee injury was uh, was better. She could walk again. Uh, you know, she was kind of, uh, I'm sorry, she could walk upstairs again. She could walk along normally, but going upstairs really hurt her knee. Um, I had one, uh, you know, in lockdown, a lot of people started jogging, myself included. And I got this thing called plantar fasciitis, which is uh, something where your foot, basically your foot really hurts, like your heel becomes really, really painful from running in an incorrect way. <coughs> I became lucid. I remembered my plan. Oh, I'm in a lucid dream. What did I want to do? Oh, I wanted to heal the plantar fasciitis. So in the lucid dream, I put my dream hands on my dream heel of my foot. And I remember the affirmation because it is a funny one. I went, my heels are healed. My heels are healed. My heels are healed. And as I was doing this, white light came out of my hands. And I remember this was only a couple of years ago, but I remember thinking like, that's so cool. <laughs> like I'm not choosing for white light to come out, but it's just happening. And then I was like, whoa, something's happening, something's happening. And then I woke up and of course my heel was better. Now we ask, we can ask a skeptic and they'll say, oh, it's just because you believe in lucid dreaming so much. It's just because you saw this healing energy go into your heel. Yeah, so what? You know, I don't, I, I can't explain how it works. No one really can explain how the placebo effect works. In fact, wonderful Buddhist philosopher, a Buddhist scholar called B. Alan Wallace. Uh, he has said, until we can explain the placebo effect, reality is up for grabs. <laughs> no one can explain the hard question of consciousness until they explain the placebo effect. It is an outrageous um, finding. And yet it's a finding uh, applicable to every medical trial ever done. And we say, oh, it's just a placebo effect. So we mm -hmm. can do physical healing. You can do mental healing. Um, another great example in the new book, this guy, Matt Humphreys. No waffles. Sorry, I've got a little dog. Nope, sleep. Sleep. <laughs> like a hypnosis. Um, <clears throat> he used lucid dreaming to cure his depression. He had 15 years of treatment-resistant depression. In the lucid dream, he became lucid, and he called out to the dream, what is the source of my depression? And the dream... Uh, suddenly presented him with his grandmother who died when he was 10 years old from Alzheimer's and his grandmother's there kind of shaking and scared with Alzheimer's and then in the dream he's like how is my grandma linked to my depression and then in the dream he had this light bulb moment he went oh wow I was so guilty when she died because when he was 10 years old he didn't want to visit her in hospital he never went to visit her in the um, old people's home you know it's kind of scary and smelly and he didn't want to go and then when she died he had this real feeling of guilt and as a child, he never fully integrated that guilt. And in the lucid dream, he acknowledged it. And then he went and hugged his grandmother in the dream. And then his grandmother uh, like was kind of changed. She didn't have Alzheimer's anymore and became, became youthful. And he was like, wow, something shifted, something shifted. Bam, and then he wakes up. And within a couple of weeks, he was actually off all medication. He had stopped going to therapy. And then two years later, he emailed me. He said he wanted to be able to say, I'm two years with no medication and no therapy so that I would know that it was a real healing and not just a flash in the pan. And that's case studies in the new book too. So you can work with, the, with mental illness. You can work with physical illness, spiritual practice. You know, what have Tibetan yogis been using this practice for for the last thousand years? Preparation for death and dying, spiritual practice while you sleep and exploring the empty nature of reality. So big work can be done in there, you know, to go in the lucid dream and actually transform yourself into a deity, transform yourself into a Buddha, and then do your spiritual practice in this form is a very powerful way to uh, leave big traces uh, in the mind-body connection. And in the brain, actually, the new subtitle of the book is uh, Rewire Your Brain While You Sleep Through Lucid Dreaming, because we have all of these studies that show neuroplasticity 
is engaged through lucid dreaming. So we know you can actually learn, you can literally change your brain through lucid dreaming, so much so that there's a certain part of the brain that is bigger in people who regularly have lucid dreams. Lucid dreaming has such a powerful neurological effect, it doesn't just change your psychology, it changes the gray matter density in the part of the brain that deals with insight. That's nuts. Like, I should call the new book Lucid Dreaming to Make Your Brain Bigger. I think that would probably sell some more copies. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, I love that story with that guy that was rid of his depression because yeah. I've heard you tell it before and it made such an impression on me. Especially, oh, yeah, I shared that for the first time at the talk you were at at Mind Valley. Ah, yeah. yes. Right. Yeah. I yeah. only just emailed me then. That was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm curious about how this has changed you. Like you mentioned so many ways lucid dreaming can change our lives, but how has it changed you? It's that's a difficult one to answer because I've been lucid dreaming for so long. I don't know who I am without it. Like, I don't know. So whoever I am now is because of lucid dreaming. I mean, I can think of the last big kind of really big change that I felt, which was um, my mum died recently, like nine months ago. And because it was such a long journey, it was like a seven year journey into death. My adult was kind of actually quite integrated when she died because I'd had so much build up to it. But my inner child wasn't, you know, the inner child didn't have the rationale to go, oh, it was a good death. You did everything you could, you were with her. The inner child was just like, my mum's dead and that's terrible. So although outwardly my grieving seemed quite integrated, I was having these flashes of childlike rage in the daytime, like proper rage, like not like adult, like how toddlers, you know, how they get rageful. And then I would have these dreams, these really like um, crazy kind of angry dreams. And I realized, whoa, that's the child. You know, when you have that real kind of um, childlike rage. <clears throat> so I made a dream plan. I thought, okay, in my next lucid dream, I need to meet the inner child because little Chuck, which is the name I give my inner child, is wounded and has lost his mum. and I need to work on this. And I became lucid and I was actually in the Buddhist center that I used to live in, in the lucid dream. And I was with the Lama, a Lama Zangma who runs the center. <clears throat> and I was walking down the corridor that leads to the reception and I saw the back of her head and it had little cuts on it. And I thought, oh, when she shaved her head this morning, maybe she, she got cuts. And I thought, hang on. No, she's been shaving her head for 40 years. Why would she have cuts? And I started to think, oh, I think I might be dreaming. And I said to her, I was like, in the dream, I went, Lama, I think we're dreaming. And she went, oh, no, I don't think so. And I was like, oh. So I became semi-lucid, but not fully lucid. And then the dreamer, which is the kind of the, the intelligence of the dream, sent in a horse, like a horse just appeared in the Buddhist center. And I looked at the horse and went, okay, I'm definitely dreaming 100%. And I said to Lama, Lama, come on, where's this horse come from? This is a dream. And she went, oh, okay, we're dreaming. So now I'm lucid. As soon as I'm lucid, I remember my dream plan. So you can have this level of direction. You know, you become lucid, you can remember your past, you can remember what you plan to do. So I was like, oh, inner child. <clears throat> so I start calling out, inner child, I love you. Inner child, I love you. Just sending love, sending love. <clears throat> and then the Lama actually turned into my inner child. And I was then hugging the inner child like that. And then I thought, okay, I know she's turned into the inner child, but I'd quite like to meet the actual personification of the inner child too. So I then did a second part of the healing. I said in the dream, I said, inner child, come to me. 
And then suddenly through the door, my inner child appeared and like merged into me at the front. And it was this amazing experience. And I was hugging my inner child. Going, I love you. I love you. I know you're hurting me. I know your mommy's dead, but I love you. I love you. I'm still here. And it was this really like not only emotional experience, but the feeling in the dream I remember was so unique. Do you remember when you used to believe in Santa Claus and on Christmas, just for Christmas, you had that feeling of magic where you were like, wow, Santa Claus is real. And that feeling, I just call it like the childhood magic feeling that I probably haven't felt in, I don't know, 30 years. I felt that. And it was such a unique, specific feeling. And I woke up with that feeling in my body. And, you know, a, a cool story would be I woke up and I had no more grief over my mum. Of course not. But that specific aspect of grief where the inner child was so angry and so distraught at the loss of my mum, that went. And those particular nightmares went straight away. And that's the cool thing about lucid dream healing. It's not based on faith. There's no one to believe in. There's no guru to ask, uh, you know, did that work? If you want to know if the healing has worked, the next day you feel different. You know, if you use lucid dreaming to heal your fear of spiders, the next day when you see a spider, you won't be as scared. So for me, it was like the next day, do I still have those outbursts of rage? Do I still have that feeling of deep childhood loss? No, it had gone greatly, great, not fully, but greatly, greatly decreased. So yeah, and that was the last one. And then actually, this sounds like a tragedy this fuck, this year I've had, but I have had a crazy year. And then two months ago, my Buddhist teacher died like a few months after my mum. So this, this year has had so much loss. And again, I use lucid dreaming for that. The grief was different there though, because my Buddhist teacher was the, literally the man who wrote the book called Living, Dreaming, Dying, which is a book about conscious dying. So the grief was different because I was like, if anyone is going to die consciously, it was mm -hmm. Rob Nan. So it was a different grief. But of course, still I'd lost my father figure, my, my guru figure, my, my Buddhist teacher. <clears throat> so in this one, I became lucid. And, um, I was in the Buddhist center where he used to teach in South Africa and suddenly he appeared and it was almost kind of like, not cheesy, but you know how people always say, oh, in the dreams, they look so much younger and you think like, oh, does that actually happen? He did. He looked like in perfect shape. How, when he was at his peak, uh, which was, you know, maybe about 10 years ago or something like that, he was at his peak and um, he appeared. And the first thing I said to him, I just started crying. I went, the final teaching, Rob, give me the fuck answer, like the final teaching. And, um, and he said, the final teaching is kindness. And then I just, it was, the emotion was too much. And I woke up and I don't know that dream. Maybe that was the 1%. Right. That was in a few weeks of him dying. And it felt maybe that was my mind. Maybe I just want to feel that it was him, but I think maybe that was a, an aspect of him. I just felt that that might be that one percent that he was really there. <laughs> yeah. Who no. knows? They do say that in the Bardo, which is the period after death, you know, there's all these Buddhist teachings and they said there's like a 49 day period after death. And um, they say in the lucid dream state, the lucid dreamer has seven times the power of consciousness. It's like 700% more conscious power, which is of course their explanation. But of course you can heal in the lucid dream. You have 700% more power. Of course you can send love to another in the lucid dream. <coughs> but they say the person in the bardo, so the, the person who has recently died, has nine times the power of mind. Meaning literally the best place to communicate with a recently dead person is through the lucid dream. 
because you have 700% broadband, you know, increased broadband. They have 900% better broadband. So the connection is so, so strong. So in that one with Rob, yeah, maybe, maybe that was an aspect of the 1%. Mm-hmm. Who can tell? Now, I've had an experience where I think I was in the same dream as my father because Ooh. we started sharing our dreams and we were like, but this is the same place. And we explained it in the same way and we saw the same thing. It was so peculiar. Now, how could that be possible if we sort of are in my mind and he's in his mind? Yeah. So strange you said this. I was on a solitary retreat last week and uh, I was going through notes from different Buddhist talks I'd been to. And there was a, a retreat I was at with this guy, Alan Wallace, who was the same guy who said, until we tr- prove the placebo reality is up for grabs. Amazing Buddhist scholar and practitioner. <clears throat> and I found in the notes his answer to this. And he basically used the equivalent of quantum entanglement. He said that when someone is like your mom or your dad or your lover or your brother, you know, someone you have a very, very close relationship with, your karma is so close that it's almost like an element of quantum entanglement. That even when you remove the people, the ability to psychically connect is greatly increased compared to someone who's just a friend or a stranger or something like that. So it could be that. And the fact that you were having shared dream content doesn't mean that you were in his dream or he was in yours. It means that you were sharing this like psychic uh, aspect together. And Carl Jung's actually, we don't need to talk about Carl Jung. Let's keep on the, on the Buddhist thing here. So I don't confuse the two uh, philosophies, Um, but it's absolutely possible. You know, again, you have 700, you know, have seven times the power of, oh, that's in a lucid dream. So in a non-lucid dream, who knows? Uh, But it's definitely possible. Again, I've heard over the past 15 years, way too many examples of people who I completely trust. They were not trying to impress me. In some cases, I saw their dream report with a date because they were on a retreat when it happened. So I've seen the proof that they had the same dream as this other person who was also on the retreat. Um, It's possible. It's possible. Again, I don't know how, but it's, I know it's not impossible. So if I'm in a lucid dream, uh, because I, I have to rephrase everything because I actually thought that uh, when I'm lucid, I'm in the astral realm. Uh, but you're saying that I'm actually not I'm in my mind. But if I want to go to the pyramids and I've never been there, is that then not possible for me? Because you're, you're I, having astral projection. I mean, you could have a lucid dream about going to the pyramids. And of course, every every piece of information you've ever read been told about, seen on TV, seen on social media about the pyramids, all of that is stored. The the unconscious mind is a huge hard drive. I mean, we're talking like way bigger than any AI generation, right? So, and actually the AI is quite a good metaphor for here, how the AI has access to everything ever written on the internet. And because of that, it can make pretty good predictions. Not that good yet, but give it a few years, right? Mm. The unconscious mind has access to everything you've ever experienced, every book you've ever read in this life and possibly previous lives, right? So if in a lucid dream, you choose to go to the pyramids, you will absolutely, you could go to something that looks exactly the same. And you could even go into the certain door and it will open the same way. And you, oh, I went left and I was in the king's chamber. And then you wake up in the morning, you Google it and it says, yes, you go left to the king's chamber. You go, oh my God, I was really there, astral projection. Maybe, or maybe when you were 10 years old at school, you watch a documentary about the pyramids where the presenter said, oh, now we walk down the king's chamber, we turn left and it was stored. So who knows? Hmm. Who knows? Hmm. But I think, you know, the reason I, I say this isn't as a skeptic. 
I think the, 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 the fact that we could have that experience in a lucid dream in our own mind is more impressive than actually going there. Because if we went there, it's like, yeah, of course we can see the pyramids. We're actually projecting. I mean, it's an amazing skill, but it's obvious, of course, we're literally going there, right? But in a lucid dream, if we can create a direct replica of the pyramids based on this algorithm the mind creates, I think that's more impressive. So I'm not being skeptical. I'm just, I'm just, you know, this is just my opinion. <laughs> I just get amazed by then the mind because it yeah. begs the question, what is the mind then? Yeah, don't ask me. <laughs> right <laughs> that's beyond my pay grade ask Alan Boyle, <laughs> right so what what is like the deepest insight that you have received like spiritual insight from one of your lucid dreams god these questions it's it's like no they're brilliant questions it just makes you think it's like asking a chef what is your favorite meal and the chef's like wow <laughs> yeah or me like what is your favorite interview i'm like oh yeah i bet yeah i mean okay let me think of an an a big insights that i might have had mm -hmm. um well the compassion one's a good one this is a from dream a long time ago but it is a very nice insight and i think it's helpful for people to hear this um <clears throat> in lucid dreams you can ask big questions so you can become lucid and you can call out to the lucid dream, um, you know, what is the nature of reality? Actually, I did that in a lucid dream. And I call that, what is the nature of reality? And this big, um, like in a game show, you know, they have those big screens on TV game shows. This big uh, screen appeared and it said, the nature of reality is, and then dot, dot, dot. And I was like, oh my God, it's going to tell me. And then it said, obtainable through lucid dreaming. And I was like, ah, what a joke. But then I told my Buddhist teacher that and he went, you got the correct answer. So anyway, you can ask these big questions. So I thought all this talk about compassion in Buddhism, right? I wonder what happens if I ask the dream, the lucid dream, I ask my wisdom, my own inner wisdom, what is the nature of compassion? No, what is the essence of compassion? So that was it. So I became lucid and I call out, what is the nature of compassion or the essence of compassion? And then suddenly this hand, like the hand of God, like in a cartoon, this big, huge human hand came down through the dream and picked me up by my legs. And I went whoop, and pulled me up like a rag doll. And I was like, oh my, God, you know, what is this? This is God, like what is happening? And I went through the sky and then above the sky, through the universe and through these like layers of, of reality. And I was thinking like, oh God, am I still in the lucid dream or is this some astral, you know, maybe it is an exit to an astral plane, who knows? And then I'm in this huge space, like outer space, everything completely black, like some stars, but completely black. <clears throat> and I'm like, how, what, how is this answering my question about compassion? Like, how is this compassionate being pulled out? And then I realized it was taking me to this space beyond time to show me the answer. And then in this space beyond time, this scroll appeared, like, you know, like the paper scrolls, right? This scroll appeared like that. And then the scroll dropped down. And on the scroll, it clearly said, Charlie Morley's Certificate of Lovability. Charlie Morley's Certificate of Lovability. And then it listed in reverse order, every kind thing or compassionate thing I had ever done in reverse order. Because I remember the first one said, opening the door, holding the door open for the woman on the train. And I was like, oh yeah, I did do that earlier in, in the day. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I had all these lists of things and it just went on infinitely, like to my birth. And I was like, whoa, it's like the universe is keeping a tab. So compassion is the fact the universe is, it, that everything counts. You know, the universe is, is watching. 
and is so glad that you're doing these things. And then these other scrolls appeared, scroll there, scroll there, scroll there, blah, blah, blah. And they all went, <clears throat> and it had these people's names on them. I didn't know the names, but they were human names. Like, I don't know, whatever, you know, human name. Uh, and then it also had a drop down. And then the universe became full of these scrolls with names on and these lists. And then I woke up and I was like, whoa, okay, so what's it telling me? It seemed that to my mind, again, it was personal. I was in my mind, I think. My, to my mind, the essence of compassion is that every living being has this like list that every kind thing they've ever done has been noted by the universe. And that's the essence of compassion. Not actually what it is, but the fact that everything counts. Everything from holding a door open to someone to saving a life, everything is written down. Everything is witnessed by the universe. And that's the essence of compassion, that you're being witnessed and that that's the compassion act of the universe and encourages us to do more compassion acts. That's a beautiful message and a beautiful knowing. Wow. I mean, lucid dreaming to me is just magical and I wish everybody could do it because then I think we would be better human beings and we would yeah. evolve much quicker and we would basically have peace on earth because when you use lucid dreaming like you've been uh, inspiring us to do and sharing knowledge about today, uh, we could develop ourselves like so much faster. Yeah. So imagine what that could do to the yeah. world. Yeah. The comment you made about evolution, a uh, famous sleep scientist called Professor Matthew Walker, he wrote a very famous book called uh, Why We Sleep. He comments on lucid dreaming just once in the whole book on sleep. And he says something crazy. He says, could it be that lucid dreaming displays the next step in human evolution? And that our biology has evolved to wake up within the unconscious mind as a way to aid human evolution. I was like, oh, shit. Because I read the whole book and I thought, why isn't he mentioning lucid dreaming then? Right at the end, he says this comment. And I was like, wow, man. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's true of me. I don't think I've evolved very much. But I think for human beings, yeah, this could be the next step in evolution. Yeah. And I think more and more we'll actually just experience it naturally. It seems like yeah. it's happening all over the place. Uh, Charlie, this has been a thrill, and I know you gotta take the dog out. So before that, I have three questions for you. And my first one is, what is self-love to you? Wow, what is self-love? <sighs> well, what is love? I mean, if we, I, I, again, I, I fall back on these Buddhist definitions, but I'll only use a Buddhist definition if I agree with it. The Buddhist definition of compassion is wishing another not to suffer. The Buddhist definition of love is wishing another to be as happy as you or even happier. So then what is self-love? A wish for me to be happy. And in that happiness, you know, if we could all love each other fully, we would be such kinder human beings. You know, we see this. This isn't a big philosophical point. When you've had a really good day and you're full of energy and you have an abundance of happiness in you, you are more likely to stop and hold that door out for another person. Whereas when you're having a really shitty day, and there's a lack of happiness and there's a lack of love within yourself or a feeling of shame, you are less likely to open that door for another, you know, literally and metaphorically. So what is self-love? A, a wish for, for, for myself to be happy. And with that, let's expand it to universal love, a wish for all beings in all the six realms of existence to be happy and to be free of the causes of suffering. And what is happiness to you? These are such difficult questions. What is happiness? I think that point of rest where you don't need to change anything. I know that sounds like 
quite subtle, but you know, real happiness is contentment when you're just like, nothing needs to be changed. I don't need to scratch my face. I don't need a sip of water. I don't need to fill a silence. I'm in this present moment and nothing needs to be changed. I think that's really happiness. Hmm. And what is the deeper meaning of life from your perspective? Oh, what's the deeper meaning of life? I don't know. Um, um, yeah, to be kind, kindness. It's hmm. especially this last year, the, the, the loss I've had this last year. I really think like so much of life is bullshit. So much of life, like everyday life does not matter. It doesn't matter, but we feel that it does. But when you strip away everything, the only things that truly matter are love and kindness to ourselves and others. And everything we do is in some way searching for that happiness, for that love for ourselves and kindness for others. Yet we get stuck in this, in this mud of samsara, which we believe matters so much. And I think often death is the great way to wake ourselves up from that. When it's like, bam, hit by death, and bam, hit by death again. It's like, whoa, what matters? What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? We're here to show love and be loved. Mm. Like, what else? Mm. Beautiful. Um, Charlie, where can people find you and what are you working on these days? So I am working on the new book or the second 10 year anniversary, second edition of my first book called Dreams of Awakening, which again is now fully updated, not just a little update, a full, full update. Uh, that'll be coming out in the summer. And the next year I've got a full, um, not full, I'm actually doing like 50% less next year uh, because of the year that I've had it has made me go fucking, this doesn't matter. So I'm only gonna do what brings greatest benefit so I've said no to most things and said yes to only things that I feel fully aligned with and will bring the greatest benefit. But that does mean, yes, I will still be doing retreats and workshops and talks, but not as many as usual uh, next year, particularly. Uh, and yeah, you can find me online on Instagram, on charliemorley.com, my website. Um, someone said recently, if you, you if, actually, if you forget my last name, if you just Google Charlie Lucid, apparently all my stuff comes up. So maybe that should be my surname. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time for coming to this show today. And thank you so much for your lovely teaching and for helping the world with lucid dreaming. My pleasure. Thank you for giving me the time to, to talk with me. It's been a pleasure. If you want to become more who you are and live in alignment with your soul's purpose and explore a deeper meaning with your life, then you are most welcome to join Wisdom from North membership. If you want to go deeper, you can find all our English online courses and programs at wisdomfromnorth.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube just by searching for Wisdom from North. Until the next episode, much light from here.